Hey everyone, Zach Dixon here, and welcome to our 55th episode of Animalators, curious conversations from the world of animation. Today on the show, we have Joe Russ, an animator, director, and game developer based in Sarasota, Florida. Joe is currently developing the game Jenny LeClue Detective Vu. It is a narrative adventure game about relationships, detectiving, choosiness, and an epic tangled mystery. I've been following the development of the game for a while. Uh, I've then had the pleasure of being right next to their booth at PAX East a few weeks ago. We got to chatting and I knew I had to have him on the show. Uh, Joe graduated from SCAD and spent over a decade freelancing in New York. Uh, he taught at Ringling and has now found a way to chase what he loves creating, uh, mostly full time at this point now in Jenny LeClue. Today on the show, we'll talk about what it takes to sustain a long freelance career in New York. We'll talk about the massive scale of the personal projects Joe has taken on over the years and how he's pulled them off. We'll talk about his transition from motion design to game development. And of course, we'll go behind the scenes into bringing his new game, Jenny LeClue, to life. I'm excited to get into all of this and more on this week's episode of Animalators. Well, Joe, thanks so much for joining us on Animalators. Yeah, uh, great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. Um, so we we actually got to meet in person at PAX, uh, which was amazing. Uh, up in Boston, we were we were right next to each other, uh, which was great. Yep. Uh, it was Bouncy Smash, um, and then Jenny LeClue was right next door, part of the Indie Showcase, uh, which was actually amazing. I kind of freaked out a little bit because I had been following you all a little bit on on Twitter. And I was like, oh, we're right next to them. It's going to be great. Um, yeah. and, uh, it was a beautiful uh, coincidence that we're neighbors. I know. Um, and it was super fun. I cannot believe how many people were there. Yes. Yeah, it was It was nuts. That was that was definitely the... Uh, we went to another PAX two years ago and it, it was busy, but this was even crazier. So, Well, like our one of our Lyft drivers said that it's like the biggest yearly event in Boston or something like that, which just kind of blew me away. But anyways, so let's, let's first talk a little bit about your game. Tell us a little bit about Jenny LeClue. Sure. Jenny LeClue Detective is a, it's like a murder mystery. It's a narrative adventure game. So it's, it's a little bit, it's like inspired by kind of point and click adventure games, but it's, uh, it's, it's got this kind of 2D illustrated art style and it's this, it's this kind of murder mystery where you play as this uh, kid detective, Jenny LeClue, and she lives in this small town of Arthurton where, you know, it's beautiful and it feels like nothing ever goes on. And so she's, she's always feels like she's kind of the big fish in the small pond and she's looking for like a real kind of case to crack and a real crime to solve. And she sort of gets more than she, you know, bargains for, wishes for when uh, her mom is framed for murder, and it's a big deal in the town because it's a small town, and you know there, no one ever gets murdered. So, she, so her, she kind of her family falls apart, but she gets her wish. She kind of gets this huge case to crack, and the story starts as this mystery about um, proving your mom's innocence, finding this real killer, and the story kind of turns into this crazy adventure and sort of unwinds from there. That's great. And and actually, so to anyone listening, go download. There's a playable teaser on the App Store right now. And and it's wonderful. You can see the art style. You can um, go through a little bit of it. So Jenny LeClue, it's Jenny, J-E-N-N-Y, and then L-E, Clue. Go download it so you can see what we're talking about. And to give us a little bit more context, like what's the what? how big is the team on this? Who, who you got working on it? Uh, the core team is me and uh, one other guy, Ben Tillett. Um, we've had a couple people help on the project here and there, but basically it's two of us. So wow. small team. Yeah, dude. And how long have you been working on it at this point? We made that playable teaser you just mentioned, and, uh, that took us about a little bit more than six months to do. So we've been working on the core game, maybe two and a half years. Um, but we did a Kickstarter about four years ago. So, so, so somewhere between two and a half and four years, we've been working on it. So I would say a long time. Well, man, the game the game looks so beautiful, um, and and we're gonna come back to that. But I wanted everybody to kind of see what you're up to now. But but you started out back at at SCAD with um, 
kind of aims to go into the motion design industry. So I, I want to jump back and then we'll work our way all the way up to that kind of switch to interactive and, and game development. So let's go back in time to, to SCAD. What was kind of your mindset at that point, kind of um, at that time in your life, thinking about your career moving forward? Oh, man. Um, well, I had grown up, uh, my dad, uh, his family had a printing business and I'd grown up around uh, hanging out at at their offices where they were working on the weekend and stuff. And he always had Macs and he had Photoshop, you know, 1.0 and all this other kind of crazy software. So I had always kind of been into uh, graphic design and uh, illustration, photo manipulation stuff. So I already had that interest. And then um, I got into really sideways kind of thing of uh, I wanted to, I remember I wanted to make like a menu for the DVD of, David Lynch's uh, Mulholland Drive, which he refused to have like an animated DVD menu. And my friends were already doing animation classes using After Effects. And they were like, oh, you, oh, you can totally m- make that kind of thing if you use the software. So I got into that and I was like, oh, I, I love doing this. This is like a, I'm very ADD and I want to kind of have my hand in all the pies. And I was like, oh, motion graphics is this thing where you can kind of combine all these interests. Like I love animation. I love illustration. I love graphic design. I love 3D. And it's like, oh, it's this thing about sort of collaging all these things and marrying them. And so I was like, that's the thing I want to do because I want to do a bit of everything. And it seems like a, even then it's like, oh, this is a field where I can combine all of those kind of passions I have for like visual storytelling stuff. So uh, yeah, SCAD, even then they had a broadcast design program. So I went for that going in knowing, I think uh, it felt pretty weird to know that I wanted to do that already but yeah i knew kind of went in knowing i was like loved kind of the the range of stuff you could do in that world whereas my friends were doing oh i want to do 3d character animation because i want to work at pixar and i want to work at dreamworks or whatever and i was like that feels so limited to me that feels like just one thing and i like that motion design it felt like oh you could do all these things you could dabble in these things what were some of the things around that time that were kind of like you were pointing to and be like, I want to make stuff like this? Certainly uh, MK12 made really, really cool stuff. Um, you know, and, and uh, early PSYOP stuff that was happening then I thought was really cool. And they still have some of that DNA in their work, even though they've kind of long moved, moved on from that, some of that aesthetic. But uh, MK12 definitely stuck out in, in those days as sort of their irreverent, style and really pushing uh some of the kind of trends that were there but also sort of you could tell they were just kind of going crazy with what they could do in like flash and after effects and having fun with it and then doing more creative non-commercial things with it that were crazy so tell us a little bit about your your story after school i understand you moved to texas um following your time at scad yeah yeah so i was uh deeply in debt my senior year of school and uh, I had no, no, no income at the time and like no prospects and I was like desperately needed job that could pay and all my friends were moving to New York or LA to get jobs there and I was like oh I want to do that but I I feel like I'm not very good terrible designer not a great animator and I you know have this huge student loan that's going to come up very soon so I'm like I feel like I need a job where I can learn and I can actually make an income versus trying to spend even more money in a big city with no job and figure that out. And uh, so I was panicking and I uh, went to like the job job fair thing at my school. And there was this, this guy who was looking for one animator for his studio. He had just started in, in Austin, Texas. And I've never been to Texas or any of that. And I think you could see the potential, at least in my animation work. And, uh, I, like I said, I'd grown up like being around uh, both my dad and my mom uh, ran kind of small businesses, very uh, self-starter entrepreneurial. And he was like, yeah, I left, uh, I left uh, working for like a post house after, you know, 20, 30 years of working for them and started my own little studio. And it's me and my best friend from high school, who's like producing everything. So we are literally two people and we get freelancers, but I'd love to have another animator on staff. And so I, it was a really cool opportunity where they could actually pay me. Yeah. And like, I love the idea of being involved kind of, uh, it wasn't a giant organization, so I could really be hands-on and learn a lot from them and kind of uh, annoy them and pick their <laughs> brain about like, well, why did you make that choice? What What is that like? So for me, it was a real like uh, 
mentorship versus just uh, being kind of a cog in the machine. And I was, uh, pro- they were probably probably more annoyed than I want to think. But I-, I was like, can I be in on this phone call? Can I be in this meeting? Like, I just really wanted to see the way they ran their business and how they did things besides, you know, make make their design choices and stuff. And for me, again, I'm very entrepreneurial person, very business minded as well. And I'm like, for me, that was awesome to be able to get hands on like that. And for them to be generous enough to trust this like 24 year old, you know, kid right out of school who has no idea what's going on and like bring them, bring me with them to like a a potential client meeting, uh, which I think that was a lot of trust on their part. And I thought was really awesome. And, you know, I learned a lot from that. It was obviously it was a different scene than being in LA or New York or one of the other big markets, but I, I felt like I got to learn so much so quickly and a lot about the business itself. And then from there, yeah, I was, uh, and it was exciting for me because I'd not done any kind of commercial scale stuff. And it was like, cool, there's three of us working on this job. That's going to be, you know, the show open for like an A&E reality show. And for me, that was like really cool to be like, oh, we did that. And that whole thing we did, that's what it's going to be. So that was really cool. And and I love that that kind of recognition of like, oh, like, you know, I, I need to find a place to just like learn and, and, and get better. Um, <laughs> and pay my debts. And pay your debts. That no, was, which is... I, that was a big... It was... I was like, I need something really that smart. I can learn, but also I need a job right now because I am broke and I will... I owe so much money. So it was, it was a combination of things. Yeah, definitely. I know. And I love that, like kind of purposeful, like you're, you're very intent. You knew that you wanted to, to grow and yeah. And and obviously you did then end up moving to, to New York. Do you feel like you kind of eventually reached a place where it's like, okay, cool. Like, I feel like I can make work on that level. Uh, you mean like when I was in Austin? Yeah. 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 No, definitely not. (laughs) Um, but you know, I'm, I'm, uh, good and bad, I would say, uh, I am ambitious. So I was, I was just like, well, I want to work in one of these places. And I was starting to do freelance remote freelance on the side. And I was talking to more and more studios that were in either LA or New York about getting work. And it was sort of the one year anniversary of working at this place. And we kind of came to an agreement where it was like, well, you know, either I'm going to stay with you guys for a couple more years, or I'm going to kind of move on and, and I found kind of an opportunity in New York and it was really exciting. So I, I packed up everything and moved again. Um, uh, and it was, it was kind of crazy. And I definitely felt like, yeah, way, way under, underprepared and all of that. But I mean, I always think that's pretty motivating. Like I would rather always be working in a room where everyone is smarter, faster, more talented and more thoughtful than me because there's so much to learn from that. And, and a, there's just some of that, um, that sort of FOMO thing of, or like jealousy of like, gosh, I wish I could be that good that drives you, but also just through osmosis, you, you can get that energy, but you can also sense how to work faster, how to make smarter choices, or just see how people think in ways you just never would. And so it was good for me going to New York and like even my first job, just learning super quick and then being really hungry and really good and bad. I'm a very inquisitive person. So I also found people who are friendlier freelancers and just pick their brain about like, okay, I've got this job, but this job ends in two weeks and I'm sleeping in my friend's kitchen. Like, how do I find another job? How do I like get enough money to, to pay rent and all that? And, and people are so helpful. And it's, I know people say it's like who, you know, but it's like, even who you don't know, it's like find people who are, who are helpful and friendly and like those people made my life so easy uh, just by them being friendly and open to helping other people who had come through, you know, they at one point had been in that same place and they're like, oh, I know how to help you get to a better place quicker. And, you know, it's, I don't see this as a competition. And like, for me, that was a huge help. Like, like I was starting out and I, like I said, I had no, no idea how to get more work after this job, which was amazing. It was for in Times Square, it was like one of the billboards, I think on the ABC sign for Target. And it was a small thing. And they're like, you're going to animate one of the whole spots. And that was like, blew my mind. They definitely underpaid me severely. But I was like, (laughs) I need a job. I need an excuse to move to New York. And this is like amazing to work on. I was super stressed because I was so worried I was going to, you know, make this terrible animation and take forever and all that. But it was really cool. And then uh, these people helped me and they were like, this other freelancer, she was just like, 
yeah, you're trying to find other work. And I was like, yeah, how do you do this? And she's like, oh, I have a rep. I'll just give you their email. If you just need to find work, this person can find you work all day long. And like, just from that, I was like, cause you know, I had friends who were at Loyal Casper and Gretel and Buck, but like they didn't need work at the time. And I didn't feel like I was good enough to work at those places. And then even from just talking to this, this other freelancer, you know, she's, she helped me out and I suddenly had more jobs than I could, you know, than I had time to do. And it was, and, you know, kept learning from all those jobs, but it was, it was really, it was really made a huge difference where it went from, you know, the first month of being there, being terrified of everything and having no idea what I'm doing and feeling like a huge imposter <laughs> to feeling like, okay, this is going to be okay. I might still feel like I don't belong here. I'm not up to snuff, but it's like, at least I can pay my rent now. And I'm not worried that I'll never have work again. And then I can figure out now that I'm not terrified of that stuff, I can figure out how to be better at, at my job. Did that like feeling of imposter and, you know, not, not belonging ever subside? I mean, I think, I think that kind of thing always, it's always there and it's like at what level and, and also how much you let that uh, affect you. But I, f- I feel like, you know, if I don't feel some level of imposter syndrome, I'm, I'm probably too comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's time to, to push myself to do something, something a little outside of my wheelhouse, at least. Um, I think it's always healthy to feel a little bit like, like you don't belong and you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You know, yeah, I definitely got more, more comfortable. I think the fear of, you know, paying my student loans and eating and paying my rent, that stuff being out the window, I think, I think it, it, it helps a lot. Um, you know, and then I and then I used I think I used some of these freelance opportunities as my own kind of boot camp, where I, like I said, coming out of school, I felt like okay, I can animate pretty well, but I come I, my focus before school was very illustrative focused and uh, not not rigorous in the ways of typesetting and graphic design, and so I got an opportunity to work at Gretel, which is an awesome studio in New York. Um, and they well known now for all their kind of broadcast design stuff. Super brilliant. And everyone there was had come from uh, Trollback, which was also very um, design focused. That kind of minimalist Swiss aesthetic and all of that stuff. Uh, and that was great. So I started freelancing there. And uh, Greg Hahn, who started the company after he left uh, Trollback, he'd only been going for like a year or two. So it really was early days. And it reminded me of when I was in Austin at Shiny Object, that feeling of like, we're kind of all in on it together. And there's a lot of kind of camaraderie in that, that uh, struggle. And you, you really in on the ground floor, kind of that feeling of being in on the whole thing. And it was really good because I was like, oh, I hate type and I'm <laughs> so, so bad at all this stuff. But like, they, they love this. They're passionate about it. They they can see in a way I can't, and they know how to make beautiful, interesting frames and animation out of stuff I just wouldn't even touch or look at. I was like, oh, I should try to keep working here because I can learn so much from them in a thing that I feel so bad at. And and it was like a weird mix of being sometimes bored by that because it wasn't my initial interest, but also like amazed and surprised at how much you know there was to learn and how how much you could do with so few elements. Cause I was coming from this place of kind of maximalism and fill the screen with detail and movement and energy. And they're like, what can we do with uh, a, a white square on a gray <laughs> background? And, you know, one beautifully kerned word. And it was like, this is blowing my mind in, in a way that from the outside, it just doesn't seem interesting or meaningful, but there's so much kind of nuance and, and power to that. And it's, it's, it, you know, it's a little bit more thinking in that. And I was always so fascinated by Greg was very, even when he was doing something that looked very simple and very, um, you know, the client brief didn't have any depth to it. He was always thinking of what's driving what we're doing and why. And like, maybe sometimes he got carried away with sort of getting philosophical about it, but it always made me think of, of like, what is the purpose of what you're doing? Even if it's something very high level, very surface, but but like, why are you making this choice? What's driving that? What's kind of the subtext of this? And, and what's informing, you know, what, why, why should this type move this way? Uh, if, if it's for this kind of brand and, and they want to have this kind of sense of power, or nuance or comfort, comfort, like 
how can the animation respond to that idea? And that was, that was a big kind of eye-opening thing for me too, to be uh, thinking about these things in a deeper way, even when the result was still a very like commercial and kind of looked like what you see is what you get kind of outcome. So that was really cool to me. Yeah, definitely. I'm constantly, every time Gretel puts out something new, I'm just blown away. We actually had Ryan, did you work with Ryan Moore at all? Yes, great guy. Maybe one of the nicest human beings on earth. Oh, yeah. Super, super, super duper nice guy and just brilliant designer. Yeah. No, we we had Ryan on the show like, Oh, it's more than a year now at this point, which is crazy. But I, I keep going back to that episode. He's his he's got an incredible mind. They and they just produce brilliant work. Okay, so I mean, you you were freelancing in in New York for ten years, um, a decade. So, kind of looking back on that decade of freelance in, in New York, I don't know. Do, would you ha- do you have any advice for for people looking to make a I don't know such a long stint in in freelance, especially in one of the the big um, centers of industry? I think you know I could be wrong. And coming out of school now, it feels like lots of people. Or people are doing these like school of motion and MoGraph mentor people starting. I don't know if it's a lot harder to get into the industry now. It feels like it's a bit more saturated, but I, I like to think there's still that opportunity there because I feel like I'm always getting offered things from people I've, I've never met. And it feels like there's always more work than there are people to do it and do it skillfully. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think my biggest thing, which I also know, is when I look to hire other freelancers, is is everyone I ever worked with, they were always looking on a fundamental level for people who were skilled, and you could see the potential or the skill uh, to do what they needed, whether it's a generalist or a you know someone who specializes in whatever that thing is. But they always, always, I kept getting jobs not because I was the best animator or the best designer, but because I could get along with people <laughs> yeah. uh, and I was very reliable. And from my 10 years, I would say it's always better. 99% of the time, it's better to be nice. Someone everyone can communicate with and get along with and really reliable than to be the best at what you do. Hopefully you want to be the best at what you do anyway. But there were lots of people I would see come through the studios I work at and be super, super arrogant, come off sounding really confident about all this stuff that they could do. And they were so good and so fast. And then they, they, you know, someone would give them a whole project uh, or a big chunk of a project. And then, you know, five days would go by and a producer would come to me and be like, Hey, we had to let this person go. I don't know what they did for five days, but they left us this horrible mess doesn't make any sense. It's not good. And we were, you know, they felt like that person's confidence kind of led them that to be like, okay, it's going to be fine. And then they're like, can you fix this? And I'd be like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do a great job, but I'm going to try to band-aid it, patch it together as much as possible. And, and I think for me, that was certainly a big boon in my career is just being like, we always know in the clutch, Joe is going to get it done. Again, even if it's not the best thing that's ever happened, and with a client, a lot of the times, you know, deadlines get shorter and shorter, budgets get weirder and weirder, and a lot of times it's like you need people who can do good, but who can deliver on this deadline doesn't change, and this thing needs to be this 30-second spot with X, Y, and Z, and like, we got to get that done, and at least for me, it's not, you know, it's not the sexiest thing to say, but it's like, I think is a big thing for me is being, being, uh, not just an artist, but like a professional. Okay. So yeah, a little bit earlier, you mentioned, um, you know, at certain points you, you learn a little while and then, and then you might get a little bit too comfortable, but I, I kind of see this theme throughout your career of kind of pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, kind of into the unknown. I think maybe the first of that would be, you know, moving to New York and, and kind of throwing yourself into that. But then let's talk about another one. Um, could you tell us a little bit about um, Fathoms, uh, your short film? Sure. So that was a long, short <laughs> animated yes, film yes. I made a couple years back. And I crowdfunded it through Kickstarter and I did it over a couple of years kind of um, on the side while I was also freelancing. Um, and it's a, it's like a sort of a sci-fi drama. It's like a post-apocalyptic thing. It's about uh, two characters who are kind of surviving in this 
this uh, flooded world. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, <laughs> I would say it's a story about, I'm like, it's been a while and I'm yeah. like, I've maybe distanced myself a little bit from it, but, um, um, but yeah, I would say for me, the impetus was like, um, when I was 17, my father passed away from, he had cancer and that's certainly affected me a lot at, at that, the ripe age of 17. And, uh, I think I, I like to express, uh, my struggles through, uh, through my work. And I think in my own personal work, of course, um, so the the themes in that are about kind of loss and isolation and uh this sense of being haunted kind of by by the people the people who are left behind and and that those memories linger for them so certainly a a, a bit of art therapy for me as as a vehicle to uh use some of the the things i love about sci-fi and mystery and all of that as as the vehicle and animation but some of the themes about kind of very personal things to me, but I wanted to express them broadly um, instead of in that quite that literal way. So it was my kind of experiment in that. And I had been doing a lot of commercial work that was very short turnaround and not very narrative. And I've always been interested in kind of uh, character driven and visual storytelling stuff. And it was a, it was a chance to good and bad, try to try to, get outside of that box of doing three week turnarounds on in tags and, um, you know, funny commercials about pet care. So it was, it was like, you know, it was, I was like, I want to do something different, something personal. And I don't find uh, that commercial work fulfilling. So what I had actually been doing is um, in New York is I basically was freelancing nine months a year and then using the three months, I specifically took off to work on personal projects. And that's when I oh, wow. started working on Fathom. So, yeah, I used that as my time to to do internal work and uh, stuff on, of personal expression in a, in a bigger way. Because it's like, yeah, I can definitely uh, dabble and sketch and make short animations on the weekend. But something more substantial, it's not enough time for me anyway to kind of focus and get into that headspace. So. I did that for a while and then I did the Kickstarter for it. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot to talk about here. One of the things you, you touched on a little bit, I mean, I, I don't think that there's necessarily a, a, a right or a wrong in this standpoint, but some people choose to, you know, make, you know, very small one-offs like do like an everyday. Um, and then other people choose to, you know, make a 20 minute short film over a period of, of many years. Did you, were you thinking about that at all as far as like, you know, the, the pros and cons versus making one big thing versus lots of tiny things? Definitely, definitely. And I would say in general, I would argue for make lots of little things really? quickly, okay. um, uh, which, I'm, you know, of course, uh, I do the opposite of <laughs> yeah. that. But um, I mean, me too. But, so. You know, I, yeah. I'd say maybe I got that from doing, uh, client work where the turnaround is quick and you do lots of things and you certainly learn a lot of tools and techniques from that process. But, uh, you know, again, it was that thing of like, but you, there's not a lot of depth to that. Um, the creative problem solving is often just about this extremely short ticking clock of like, okay, we have one day, how do we do all of this stuff and it not be a disaster? Um, but it doesn't give you a lot of space to, to get deeper into to those kind of things. So for me, it was, it was also specifically a conscious choice. I want to make something that's long. It's going to be as long as I feel it should be. And at one point it was like 45 minutes long and I cut it way down. Cause it was like, well, Hey, I'll never animate this. And I don't want to watch this. No one's <laughs> going to want to watch this. I mean, it's already a long watch, right? It's a very long short film or a very short feature film. It's like not quite either. And it's like, I understand that's not, this is not going to be beneficial to like, getting it uh in film festivals because they're looking for the shortest great things they can program um because they can show more of them then um and all that and i was like so i just have to know consciously what is what is the goal for me what does success look like and i think i had uh at that point i was a little bit obsessed with seth godin who's uh you know one of those brilliant speakers and and has a couple books about uh marketing and like getting things done and he had these little workbooks that are just called ship it, which is just, you know, about the idea, especially with personal work of the difference between, you know, 
wanting to make perfect things and never finishing anything and like actually getting things done, whatever those things are. And I thought the big thing was like, you know, in his, this thing, it was like, write down what the perfect version of this looks like. You know, now that you've got that out of your system, what is it that actually realistically uh, you want to achieve with this and would be, would make it a success to you? Like, what is it you're actually interested in about that? And I liked thinking about that. And I was like, a chance for me, this is a chance for me to express my own kind of deal with some of my own uh, personal things. And like you said, push myself into spaces I don't ever get into with commercial work and on a scale that I wouldn't be able to do. And no, uh, this is strictly personal and it's not about it being good or bad or winning a million awards or, or turning into me becoming a director of animated films or something. It's about like taking this on and learning from the process and being able to get that stuff out into the animation. No, I love that. Um, and man, it, it, it turned into such a beautiful and and wonderful short. And I, I just, I can't imagine the amount of, of work and, and time that, that went into it. Yeah. So, I mean, looking back on it, I don't know. How do you feel about it now as far as like, you know, those goals you set out for yourself at the beginning of the project and now looking back on it with some with some time? Do you feel like you hit those goals that, that you set out to achieve when you started the project so many years ago? Uh, yeah, I think mostly. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I would say looking back, it was like, yeah, you should have just made it five minutes <laughs> or three minutes long. You could have finished it faster. And, you know, maybe maybe a film festival would have programmed it so you could feel like it had, you know, had some kind of audience outside of, out of that, which I'm, which I'm talking it down because I got a lot yeah, of press oh, please. when I released it. So many a lot of people on the amazing. internet and it was super cool, but it's obviously hard. Super successful. Thank you. Yeah. It's obviously hard on the internet because, you know, a hundred thousand people can watch something, but it, it's really hard for me to imagine that because <laughs> they're not in front of you. You're not sitting in that audience. So it's hard for it to kind of hit you the same, but yeah, I think I think it was I think it was mostly successful. I, I definitely learned a lot. I learned uh, some things I did not learn because I was like, you know, I did a long project. Okay, let's do another. <laughs> with Jenny Laclue, yeah. let's do an even longer project. Yep. Um, not not that going in, my goal is to do that, but I think that's where sometimes I get carried away with sort of my ambitious daydreaming, and then realize like, well, I also have the problem of wanting to finish things, and that means I'm often biting off more than I can chew, and it's good and bad. But, um, yeah, I think that's, there, there was a lot to learn from that. And I think I, I, I learned looking back at it. I think it's more, you know, working on something like that for so long in the moment, it's really hard to tell the nuance of, of what's working or whether it's, you know, and I, I went for something that wasn't super cool where it's like, Oh, this can be super cheesy and, uh, really heavy handed. And I'm, I'm like, I think some of it looking back is, and it's too much. And I'm like, okay, I, if I did it again, I feel like I could come up with ways to communicate the same thing with more nuance or, or maybe a more interesting approach. But again, a lot of that's like, you've got to do that stuff to, to learn. And and then you've got to have that time to process and especially to distance yourself. Cause I, I would say is anyone what is, you can't, you can only wear kind of one hat at a time. And, you know, if you're, if you're animating something, you're wearing the builder hat, but you know, you need, you need to be wearing the architect hat to, to be going up on the hill, looking down at the thing that the animators are building and go, Whoa, you guys know this thing's lopsided and we're missing one part, but you, you know, as a single person doing stuff, you can't do those things at the same time. So a lot of it is just going with your instinct and doing things and then, looking back later and trying to grow and learn from those about what you, what you can learn from them, but also like, what is it I want to do get even deeper into and what is it I want to not ever do again? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well, again, I mean, congrats on the project. I, it, it blew me away. Um, so, okay. So obviously you're working on Jenny LeClue now, um, but how, do, how did you get there? How did you get there from your time in New York uh, freelancing um, quite successfully? Thank you. Uh, yeah, um, I guess this could be a long-winded rant because there's lots of steps. But um, <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, where these are connected is for Fathoms, I did a Kickstarter for it uh, and raised enough money to buy time to not freelance for, I think, 
like six or nine months to basically complete the film. And I was surprised that we were able to kind of leverage what I learned from doing motion design and advertising stuff to really pitch and sell something that I'm like, this isn't a profitable thing, a short film. It's not something that, uh, you know, it's people supporting it have just got to do it for the love or, you know, <laughs> whatever that is. Um, and I was surprising that we were able to do that. And I was like, okay, I always have more ideas of things I want to do kind of internally than I have time for. And this is certainly one of those new avenues that the internet has sort of allowed for, for a, a, a creator, you know, very small organization to make things that are either not profitable creative ventures or might be profitable, but, you know, uh, less commercial stuff. Um, so for me, that was uh, knowing that succeeding at kickstarting Fathoms uh, gave me confidence in, in doing another crowdfunding project later, which was going to be Jenny LeClue. And in between, we had me and my wife, who's a massage therapist, we had made a anatomy, uh, like a medical reference app called Anatomy in Motion, which is about the muscles of the body and the movement. And we had dabbled, we had gotten into sort of the app space and the iPhone space at that time. And we're surprised at how uh, successful we were with doing that, where again, we kind of did that on the side in our, our, our spare time. Yeah. And then I had had this idea for Jenny LeClue. This is going to be all over the place. Oh, no worries. So sorry. No worries. Doesn't all add up, but I had this idea for this character, Jenny Clue, just like a silly thing for a long time. And for a while, I was like, "Oh, I'd make it like an animated web series of you know, one minute, two minute episodes." And after making Fathoms, this is where I was like, "Okay, well, <laughs> it takes forever to make animated stuff, and it's really hard, and I love it, but um, I also have to acknowledge if I'm going to do it, knowing there's uh, just from a business standpoint, it's really hard to do that." financially and uh, going forward, are there projects I could do internally that could also potentially be sustainable where anatomy and motion we did is a, almost like an experiment and it was, it was financially self-sustaining and successful in that way. And it was like, Oh, so there is potential to do these small kind of internal projects that can grow and, and can also pay for themselves and maybe pay for, buy more time to do more uh, internal personal work. Um, so, you know, I've been slowly kind of building this idea. And then the opportunity came up to move to Sarasota, Florida to work at Ringling College. They were starting, they had started a motion design program and they needed professors. And, you know, I just turned 30 like a year ago. So I'm obviously thinking about this sort of middle of my life of like, what is it I want to do? I've proven I can be a successful freelancer and make good money and do that work. But again, like you're saying, it's like, what is the next thing? Where is the next place I want to push myself and try to do other stuff? And, and I talked to my wife who's super supportive. Melissa is the best. Um, and we were talking about this idea is like, well, I kind of want to try to do more totally uh, uh, unprofitable things like fathoms where it's like, I just need time and they're, just no guarantee that those are going to have a return on the time invested. And I was like, that might, it's like either leaving New York to live somewhere that's cheaper and, and have that kind of more time versus more money or stay in New York and keep freelancing and get, try to get even more money from freelancing to buy more time off. And this opportunity came up with Ringling to move to Sarasota. So we use that as a chance to sort of try all these things so we restarted here. It's a beautiful place. We love it. Uh, I taught at Ringling for a year. It was really good. I love teaching, um, but the money was uh, such a big uh, pay cut compared to freelancing. Um, and I, at first they were telling me, oh, you'll be able to take a lot of time off and you won't be so busy. You only have classes four days of the week and all that. But I'm certainly not a person who can like, phone in my work. I always <laughs> yeah. feel like I have to, good or bad. I feel like I have to kind of do 110%. And I was like, I mean, some of these classes didn't exist. I'm like writing some of the curriculum for like a three, like a cinema 4d class and stuff. And I'm like, this is a lot of work. And, uh, and I understand, you know, and they're like, well, if you stay here for another five or six years, it'll get easier. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, that's crazy. Cause if, if I'm not going to have any money, and we're already in Sarasota where I don't need as much money to live. 
should I just have no money and work on some of my internal stuff and do like remote freelance to pay the difference? Um, so that's, that's what I decided to do. And I'd had this idea gestating for many, many years about Jenny LeClue, this little seed of an idea that just kind of, I would always in my sketchbook doodle this character in kind of different scenarios and never, never ever getting really into what this was like, this world. But I had done a little one page pitch of this idea at one point to a studio in New York and talked to them about like, would they like produce if I made like a little, like an interactive animated app that wasn't quite a game, but was like, I think there was that app, the flying books of Morris Lessmore. Have you heard of that? No, I don't think so. It was Moonbot Studios. They were ex Pixar oh, guys yeah. and they won. Yeah, it was yeah. a short animated film. They won an Oscar, I think. And then they made an, like an iPad app where it was like they took the film and they broke it down into kind of an interactive, playful version of that. And that was really successful. And I was like, so we could do this thing between a game and like just a linear kind of animated short. And I had pitched that idea to this studio and, and they liked it, but they didn't want to take the risk, which I totally understand. Um, I, I probably wouldn't have taken the risk on me either. Um, yeah, so so then we're here, and I've quit working at Ringling, so I have this opportunity. So super long story long, I was like, okay, if we're going to make a game out of Jenny LeClue, I've had success with crowdfunding Fathoms. Let's try to crowdfund this. We'll make my ideal concept trailer of what the game could be like, so we don't have to have made the game. But like, And if no one backs this project, I'll have made this beautiful kind of artifact of what I'd want it to be. Uh, this pitch for it. And, and I've got to say I did that and that'd be great. And I'll keep freelancing. Um, so we, so I took the summer and um, I had some, some fr friends help me. My Ben, who's my partner on the project helped on the pitch for the Kickstarter. And uh, I was doing, I had some summer uh, internships. I had people helping on that, which is one of the ways I've been trying to continue the teaching aspect of things is like doing mentorships where people come work for me and there's like some educational aspects, but they also get hands-on work. Um, so we produced this Kickstarter for Jenny LeClue, launched in the fall of, uh, I want to say it was 2014. It's like a hundred years ago. And, you know, and then we just worked super hard for 30 days, which was the length of the campaign, just uh, full, like a full-time job to market it and do everything we could possibly do to get people to back it. And we didn't quite double our goal, I think, but um, we definitely, we succeeded. And it was, it was like, cool, this is a great like proof of concept and uh, proof that like, okay, people are interested enough in this, we can do this. And now we have enough funding to, to actually start to make the game, even though we have no idea what we're doing, <laughs> never made anything of this scope. We never made a game like this, I've made very small mobile games, but nothing like this. You know, and we were basically starting from zero because that concept trailer was a concept, and we had we had made some of these kind of areas, and we talked a lot about the backstory, but you know, we hadn't had to actually execute any of that stuff in this form. So it was kind of a great and terrifying all at once. Yeah, no, and that's incredible. And what, like almost four thousand backers? You, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I think about a hundred five thousand and about four thousand backers. So. Really, really uh, awesome and just kind of overwhelming and like cool. Okay, yes, people people are into this. I just assume no one would care or be excited about it because it's you know very specific thing. But uh, uh, yeah, it's super exciting. So at that point, had you like coded any of the game before? I know you had some experience in interactive prior. Yeah. So both Ben and I had done interactive stuff and. Uh, and like I said, I'd made like a small mobile game that was like a puzzle game, but nothing at this scale. So we really were starting from scratch on that. And we had to kind of decide, you know, what is the game? What is the moment to moment game going to feel like? Is it, do we want it to be more like uh, choose your own adventure where you watch a piece of video play and you choose path A or B and then you watch video A or B and it sort of just branches out from that where it's like, well, we know how to do that workflow because we basically would make an animated film with these paths. Um, but it has to be really good because there's nothing else, you know, to kind of, uh, 
fill in the gaps there if, if it's boring or it doesn't work well or the story is nonsense. And we kept slowly building up the idea of it being more and more, having more, I would say, gamey things, being more of a game. And I would still say it's a very narrative game. That's the focus. It, it's not an action game. It's not a platformer game. It's not a puzzle game. But it has a lot of those elements and sort of a weird hybrid that either people will love for that hybrid or we'll hate because it's sort of the worst version of all of those kinds of games. So it's yet, yet to be seen what that response will be to that. But yeah, it's, it's evolved and grown and we've, you know, speaking of uh, pushing yourself and learning new things and all of that, I mean, learned all, all sorts of new things and every day we're learning something new and struggling with uh, something new and it's, you know, it can be frustrating, but it's also amazing to have the opportunity and the time to really dig this deep into something and in the thing we're interested in and really just, <laughs> again, good or bad, the outcome. It's like this opportunity to learn and grow in this way and try some things and, and be like, hey, if it fails, we've got to remind ourselves we got this chance to do this kind of dream project. You know, I have to be like if I talked to my 10-year-old self and said, this is what I'm doing. I'm like, my 10-year-old self would be like, we did it. You know, we made it. Yeah. We, we, you can quit now. We've, we, we've, we've done everything we need to do. So it's like, you know, there's obviously the business part of me who's always like, we need to hurry up. We need to release this. We need to sell this. We need to be marketing this. But there's the other part of me, the artist and the creator who's like, but don't forget to savor that you have this opportunity to push yourself creatively and try this stuff in a very specific thing. Um, and, and all these wonderful people are, patiently supporting you and doing that and uh you know and if it's if it is and in terms of you know fiscal success even if it's not you'll learn so much from doing it and you know it's just been really amazing to be able to do that so man yeah i couldn't agree more and you're bringing up so many feelings of like pre pre-release of our own game i mean there's just you've got so many of those fears right of just like man like what if you know you even let us into a little bit of those right there right it's like you know like ah you know we're mixing these things which like maybe that could be cool but then like maybe no one will like that i don't know but you know and then of course from the outside i'm just sitting here like man it looks great like it plays so well people at pax loved it but then it's like you know you can always, at least for me, I can always find those little things to be afraid about, you know? But at the end of the day, I think I, I love your perspective on it. It's just like making the game and and making the thing that you're passionate about is is the treat. It is the reward. And definitely reminding myself, because again, I kind of oscillate between these different hats and these modes of thinking. It's like reminding myself to like appreciate it while you're doing it and occasionally stop worrying about the finish line and all of that, because that part there's so we're going to try to influence what the outcome is, but we have so little control over what the actual outcome of releasing the game and how people respond to it critically, how many people, uh, you know, cover it in the, the game's press and, and how many people actually buy it and play it and whether they hate that or love it. And for, for reasons that I agree with or disagree and also that at that point, it becomes its own thing where people will take from it what they want and they'll interpret it in ways that we don't expect or may not even like or may never have thought of. And it's like all that stuff. And it's like, just have to remind myself while we're doing it. It's like, enjoy these moments because this is like exactly what you want to do. And even when you get frustrated and even knowing it is work because you have to finish it, you have to deliver it. Like that's what makes it a job. But it's also like we're getting to do this incredible job that's exactly what we want it to be and it's not dictated by you know when you have a terrible client and it turns into this horrible hand-holding thing of them wanting to nudge things around in pixels and change a color because uh, you know that's their favorite pattern color and all this stuff and it's like no we can really dig in deep into our own our own passions here good and bad and it's like just just trying to be grateful for that instead of getting caught up in the you know, appreciating the journey. So um, I'm curious, what are some maybe unexpected challenges that you've faced uh, in the process of, of making this game? <laughs> Unlike everything? <laughs> um, you know, like I said, we're kind of going into unknown territory for us. So there's a lot of, lot of unexpected challenges. I think, I think a big one is just I, you know, having done motion design stuff for so long, I get a really good sense of, okay, I want to do this idea okay, I think that should take me between 
you know, two and eight hours to get it roughly together, or that'll take me three to four days. Like I have a really good sense of estimating the time investment. I think a big thing with a game and the scope of the kind of game we're doing is we just have no, no experience to, to accurately gauge how much time we need. And, you know, that's been a real, real steep learning curve of like, oh, we, we could do this in a week. And you're like, nope, that takes five weeks. Or I could do this in an hour. And you're like, oh, there are all these, all these technical issues I never had to think about that we didn't know existed. And that makes this take three days instead of an hour because you weren't planning on that thing. Um, and I think that's that's been a huge, huge unexpected challenge is like, okay, for the next project, it's like, if imagine, okay, we want to do it in a year, then we need to imagine what is something we think we can execute in two to three months. And then realistically, it'll take a year to do it. Where it's like, we didn't even have that sense of that before. We're like, well, if we think it'll take six months, it'll take seven or eight months. Uh, you know, clearly four years later, we're, we're very wrong. <laughs> so that's been a big learning curve thing. Yeah. So what advice would you have for, um, I mean, majority of our listeners are, are animators in kind of the commercial space. Um, what advice would you have for them um, if they're looking to get into the interactive and game dev space? The thing I would say that's good is if you want to do that, there the tools for game development are getting more and more friendly. I'd say it's still, still a complicated mess, but especially if you're like an animator or an artist and you're not a programmer, there's a lot of good third-party tools to help you make a game without necessarily knowing how to code. And I think that's like just, just knowing like, okay, you don't have to go in and find a programmer to help you. You don't have to become an, a master of C sharp to make something or, or even to experiment with something. I think, I guess it's not advice, but just like, Hey, it's, it's actually a little bit easier to dip your toes into the water than maybe it would seem like. Um, yeah, I think that would be my, my main thing is like, uh, you know, and I think it's probably easier, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I would say from my perspective, maybe it's easier for an animator or an artist or a designer to get into making interactive stuff than, uh, as a kind of a single person creator than maybe like a programmer oh, would totally. be because I think it's, I think it's a lot harder for a programmer to become a great 3d animator than it is a great uh, 3d animator to learn some of these tools and they won't be as great as a, you know, a dedicated programmer, but like there are tools to help you get there. And I think, I think that one's, I, yeah, I'm like, I don't want to, I'm like, I don't want to belittle like no, the difficulty definitely of being, not. the value of a great programmer. Cause I think we were even talking before about you guys have for uh, your game Bounty Smash, you have a bunch of back end stuff that's like, that's very technically complicated. And that's where like, yeah, you need a, a seasoned programmer who understands that and, and is passionate about that to understand like, what's the best way to handle this so it's efficient and it can scale whether you have five players or five million. And there's all that stuff, which I'm, you know, totally glossing over. No, but yeah. There's a lot of tools to help you get your feet wet, at least without having to, you know, get a book and watch a Linda series on uh, scripting. Shout out to Jeffrey Gross, our, our backend developer. Thanks, Jeff. No, yeah, I mean, it's that stuff is incredibly complicated and takes forever to to learn and, and master. But, but no, you're right. Like, there are so many disciplines that go into making animation. Um, and almost all of... I think all of those disciplines like cross over immediately into to game development, and really, it's just the the big one, of course, is is just learning to code or learning to you know work with the software um, that you're doing. But man, you, you just have so many of those skills ready to go that you've been working on, um, and I think that's why you're seeing a lot more people you know making that jump into interactive. Yeah, and and there's certainly the overlap of of you know it, the creative problem solving doesn't change. It's more of that, but. Yeah, there's that, and, and also the sort of thinking about game design, which is a very uh, big, deep well to get into. But you can also, again, you can decide how deep you want to get into that whole thing or not. Uh, but it's one of those things that feels like another uh, place you can transition into from a place of being an, an animator. Is there any tools or resources you would recommend? Uh, we use Unity, the middleware engine, and... Uh, I think I would say what anyone else would say, which is certainly uh, use you know one of the big three if you're going to dabble your dabble in it and figure out whether you want to make a game or interactive thing, which is Game Maker, 
or Game Maker Studio, I can't remember the exact name, Unity and Unreal are the sort of three big middlewares that are uh, at least Unity and Unreal, I think, are even free if you want to try them and use them. I don't know if Game Maker is, but like, you know, they've made it really accessible to use it, and there's huge communities around it online to help get going and lots of free tools to get a hold of that. And then I would say if you use Unity, there's a third party asset thing you can get called Playmaker. And it's a node-based programming thing. And uh, my friend has used it to make make his game. And he's a animator and illustrator and didn't want to find a coder, didn't want to have to get into any of that. So he used Playmaker to essentially code his game where you know you get these building blocks of code that you connect together to make more complicated interactions, but you really never have to touch any kind of scripting if you don't want. Oh yeah. And it's it's used Playmaker has been used on like some crazy awesome games too. Like yeah. uh, the in, inside it's like in, used in Hearthstone. It's like tons of games have used it. That's inside the play dead guys are the ones that turn me on to, to playmaker. I wish I would have known about it. Like when I started bouncy smash way back. So cool. It's really great. Yeah. I didn't know they used that for inside, which is plugged to inside, which is a beautiful. I know that's, that's a great game, game right there. Yeah. So great from a, design like a taste level and like just the animation just everything about that game is just so good and so nuanced for what it is like it's really good yeah and and, man have you seen any of the their like gdc talks or anything like that they share so much information about their process it's it's amazing yeah i saw i saw the one about um they it gets really nerdy quick but basically real-time uh anti-aliasing and motion blur and they wrote their own thing that basically does both at once. Um, and I think they publicly released it because they use Unity and they were like, after the game was out, right? They were like, we want people to use that. And I think it's even now in Unity. It's like one of the things you can get and it's like a standard option is use, you know, use Inside's custom motion blur anti-aliasing code they wrote. Fun fact, if you've played uh, Bouncy Smash on an iPhone X, you have seen that plugin because we nice. I, I found that exact thing and, and put it in the game and I was like, this is amazing. Uh, it does yeah. not run so well on older hardware though, so I couldn't figure it out. But thanks, Play Dead. Yeah, amazing that, you know, if you see one of their talks about it, it's really technical and they've clearly spent a lot of uh, manpower to to make that and then that they were so generous to just share it with everyone for free is like really incredible so what can we expect um in the future like what what what's the plan for release and and kind of the future of um your studio and jenny leclue yeah so we are we are in the six month crunch leading up to launching uh jenny leclue volume one i think we're probably going to have it split into two big volumes so they'll so we're releasing volume one hopefully around halloween so oh wow october yep uh maybe november if depending on what happens so so that's that's kind of our huge thing all this work leading up to this that launch and then hopefully that's successful so we've got the second part in the pipeline a lot of it's planned some of it's developed and if the first one is uh, you know, financially successful, then we'll do the second part. If it's a little bit of a question mark, we might do another Kickstarter to see if people definitely want a second part or not. Um, and I have I have other projects uh, that I want to do, but it's just, you know, spending all our time working on this. So I just occasionally daydream about other things, other ideas I'd want to do, but, you know, who knows if we'll ever have time. So depending, there are other projects in the works. And then we're talking about other seeing Jenny LaClue as it's like we see it as this big story world and this is kind of one of the stories you can tell in there so we're talking to other other companies about different ways that that IP could kind of be represented and one that I was excited about is the game I didn't say it because uh, I was try- trying to keep my my elevator pitch short but uh, it's also this idea that there's this author in the game and he's writing these children's books that Jenny is the main character in so this sort of meta narrative thing and we were talking to a book publisher who was pitching the idea to us of well what if you had an actual book series of Jenny LaClue in print and and I was excited because their pitch was not to just copy what the story is in the game but they were like okay so what's your demographic and I would say the demographic for a game is young adult like people who would like Harry Potter or 
like 12 to 30 year old kind of age range of of that and they were like so what if we did like first chapter books where it's for people who are who are just getting into that and it will kind of grow into that so you could do these stories that take place in the world but maybe they happen before the story in the game so they could read these and get a taste of that be excited by it and then a couple years later or soon after they could play the game and one would feed into the other so i'm really excited about that kind of idea of other places we could take the story and other kind of mediums it could be in so there's there's a lot we're exploring there though nothing specific yet so (laughs) so uh that's also stuff i think in the future but you know we gotta get gotta get the volume one of the game out first that's our number one priority right now. I love it, man. I can't wait. All right. So we try and end uh, each episode with the same few questions. Uh, the first, I, I might not, might not apply to you too well at this point, but who is your dream client? So if you could work uh, with or for anyone, uh, who would it be? You know, I, I would say, uh, I, th- I think I would say good or bad. Um, either either uh, Wes Anderson or David Lynch. Think I think I might hate it, but just to see what is their the what is the in and out of their like day to day creative process of like doing something for them. I think I think that would be one where good good or bad, I would learn a lot. Have you gotten to Isle of Dogs yet? Yes, I actually saw it on my birthday. Oh, nice! Uh, loved it. Was was great. I have been waiting for forever, and it was is so good and so satisfying from. Um, that design perspective where they just have such control of the frame. And uh, if we have an extra 10 seconds, a lot of the, uh, the, um, the initial design frames for Jenny LaClue, the, in- oh, wow. the inspiration was from Wes Anderson films because I love yeah, yeah. the uh, satisfying nature of their very symmetrical sort of rectilinear framing where they have this very straight on thing. And I know it's like Wes Anderson and, the DP David Yalman and all their set design stuff is like all kind of come together to make, take something that's live action and make it feel very graphic and very like choosing to flatten something that most of the time people try really hard to make it feel like it has a lot of depth, you know, lots of angles and uh, uh, shallow depth of field and all this stuff. And they were working really hard to make it feel less, less natural and less deep and I was really loved that and that's inspired a lot of the kind of in a subtle way inspired the kind of aesthetic of Jenny LeClue. All right, next question, your favorite animated film? Um I would probably say either The Iron Giant or uh, it's a short film of an anthology. It's called Magnetic Rose. It's from like I think it's like 1999 maybe. Um it's a it's an anime it was a three short films in this anthology called memories and the first one was called magnetic rose and it's like a ghost story in space uh and it kind of has everything i love um and beautifully told it's based on a it's based on a japanese comic by the guy who made akira it's one of my favorites and it's a long short it's like 30 40 minutes long too so (laughs) You know, it's it's right on that line, but I think it's probably, and it, I think it still holds up really well. It's just so so well done, and it rides this balance between being sad and weird and creepy, and it's just it's just really good. Everyone who hasn't seen it should go watch it. It's called Magnetic Rose. Everyone, stop right now, <laughs> watch it, come back. It's so good, and I'm surprised how many people haven't seen it, but uh, it's I love it. All right. Next question. What do the people you love think that you do for a living? <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, yeah. I think now that we're making Jenny LaClue, I would say like my wife and my friends, very familiar with what we do. They have a good sense of what we're actually doing. But I think um, my family often thinks I'm making a book. <laughs> really? <laughs> so they'll often say, how's the book coming along? And I, I don't know if that's I don't know if that's because they said at one point, like, well, it takes place in a book and they just latched onto that part. So I don't know. I don't know what they think we're actually doing like, but, um, I, you know, most, most, most people I know have a good sense of what we're, we're doing. So it's not, it's not horrible. (laughs) All right. Last question. What animal did you choose for your animal later and why? Uh, okay. So, uh, 
full uh, disclosure, I have not made my animal lady oh, yeah, thing no yet, worries. but I think I want to do. I think I want to do something with the dog because uh, I love dogs and they're they're just goofy fun. So it, uh, I'm going to try to do something with the dog. Sweet. Well, Joe, thanks so much for for coming on the show. Cool. Thank you for having me. It's awesome to chat a little bit more with you. Animalators is created by the team at IV, recorded in the Weld Nashville studio, and produced by Chad Michael Snavely. To keep up with the work we're doing at IV, visit iv.studio or follow us on Twitter at Identity Visuals. You can also follow Animalators on Twitter at Animalators to keep up with all of the new episodes. And be sure to check out animalators.com to see every animation from all of our guests. To find out more about Joe and the game, you can head to JennyLeclue.com and sign up for the mailing list or follow him on Twitter at JennyLeclue and Mography underscore Joe. Also, if you are on Steam, please head over and wishlist the game right now. Well, that's it for today's episode. Be sure and join us next time for another episode of Animalators. Curious conversations from the world of animation. Animalators.